Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Uh, welcome back to another conversation with, we have a very interesting guest today, something a, a little bit outside the norm, but very, very related. And we want to do more of these kinds of streams uh, in the future, trying to get out into the peripheral and mix things up a little bit and try to promote a little bit of knowing a little bit about the people who work next to you on these jobs. Um, and uh, we're going to bring in David first, and then uh, we'll uh, introduce our esteemed guest today. Hello, David. Hey, Brent. Uh, before Morning. we start, I promised Mariana that I would oh. uh, ask you to uh, to confirm our next week's stream on Monday with uh, Osama. Oh, okay, no problem. Because <laughs> I'll check it right after the stream. But it's it's gotten to this, huh? It's got to this that we now need to use streams to actually corner me and make sure it, that I actually commit. Okay, it, it got it got there. Uh, God, that's that's not good. <laughs> okay, good. Noted, noted, Marianne. If you're watching, I, I will do that right away after this. Uh, yeah, that'll be great. As you said, it's good to start to have more different expertise and, and different yeah. uh, point of view uh, to our uh, industry. So I would say having someone like Bobby, especially with his background, will be mm -hmm. very interesting. That's for sure. Yeah, well, like I'm a bit of a broken record with this. I mean, the people who know me know that I talk a lot about video game animators who are serious about being video game animators. Game animators. This is especially true to people who think they want to be a game a video game animator, but they don't know enough about it yet because they've never done it. They they need to embrace the technical technical side of that equation. Um, you are a liability, as far as I'm concerned. If you're coming into a game company uh, without even a inkling of a desire, if you're allergic and you have this attitude of like, oh, technology. It's so annoying, and it's like you're in the, you're barking up the wrong tree. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yes, there are some um, very very talented engineers out there who specialize in the area of animation um, that will help you. You don't need to be like knowing all the things, absolutely not. But you do at least have to have some appetite for it. And um, Bobby is one of a handful of, of of programmers or engineers or whatever you want to call them. Um, I, they're not all they're not all engineers because to be an engineer you have to go and actually have a computer engineering degree so um but i think generally speaking everyone can you know say programmers i guess we'll see what he says about that but um um he um he's one of a very few that i that i've met in my lifetime that i would consider a true animation programmer and what do i mean by that this is sort of a bit of an introduction and we'll talk about this when he's on but basically it's someone who is absolutely someone who's going to be dealing with the code base someone's going to be work building you know working with code in the engine whether that's a proprietary engine that the, the, the company uses or whether it's um, unreal he'll be working inside that and doing programming like work but he will or he or she or they will be specializing in areas of animation technology and that is kind of at the very very in my opinion one of the sort of the the leading areas of of, of sort of research and innovation that needs to be done in order to make games play well but also look good um the yeah. intersection at that in, in that that problem is technology bobby's been doing it for a long time he's the only programmer i know who's been making his own engine on the side he's uh, very very he, he is 100 um i think probably equally a professional as he is um, a hobbyist he loves what he does and um 
and that shows on the job. So let's bring him in. We talk a little about um, yeah. about to him directly about what his experiences have been and uh, what what gets him up in the morning. Hello, Bobby. You're very pink slash red right now. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I adjusted the lighting to be a bit oh, uh, dramatic. Harsh. <laughs> Welcome Pretty to good. the stream, dude. It sets the mood. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like what started this whole thing, like in your mind, like I'm curious, I think you've probably answered this to me over a beer at a table at some point over the, over the years, but like, like, okay, why, maybe why engineering for a game? And well, let's start off with the first question, like programmer or engineer. Um, or does it I don't think it really mind? matters. There you go. Technically it's software engineer, which a lot of people will claim is not an engineer. Um, oh, I was wrong. Personally, I, I just stick with programmer. It's okay. easier because like, I mean, I have a technically, I, I almost finished a computer engineering degree before I got bored okay. and then I switched to computer science and I did right. several degrees in that. Um, but I'm not an engineer per se. Doesn't uh, really matter. Degree. If you make things go, then 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 you get the job. Yeah, a title is just, it's whatever. Yeah. Some companies will call them coders, others will call them programmers, some will call them engineers. It, uh, did did you know when you were in school, did you know that you wanted to actually get into, um, you know, work programming for games or was it something that kind of came afterwards? So I always wanted to do games if, ever since I was like, got into computers, like what, in the early 90s, yeah. you know, I always wanted to make games, but I was living in South Africa and right. there was no industry. It was very unlikely to get a natural job in games. So when I got to university, I said, okay, well, it's kind of naive to do the game thing, so I'll do engineering. And three years in, I, I absolutely hated my life because computer engineering is, is not what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. It was mostly like signal processing. And right. South Africa had a big defense industry, so it was a lot targeted towards defense contractors, that kind of thing. And it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so I said, you know what, like, I'm going to just, mm. I'm going to take a risk, screw this. Um, I'll switch to computer science. I'll try getting into games. Worst case, I fail and, oh, no, I've got a computer science degree. How will I ever survive with that? You know? <laughs> Not exactly much of a risk. Uh, mm. And so I did that and basically, you know, tailored my computer science degree towards everything that was sort of game related mm. or, you know, runtime, physics, whatever I could I could do that would align me in that direction. Mm. And then when I finished, I just shotgunned uh, resumes across the entire world until, you know, somebody gave me a shot. Um, I'd been programming for 10 plus years at that point professionally. Right. And I'd been doing like stuff on the side writing, like back in the day, direct extent tutorials because I was doing more rendering and mm. my academic stuff was more AI. So, you know, I was trying to get into like the more AI side of things. Um, and yeah, like IO interactive kind of took a chance on me and like, that's how I entered the games industry. Like, Correct me if I'm wrong. You work, was it Hitman? That was the first game you worked on yeah, then at IO? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was hired, uh, ironically, I was hired for a new IP. But then when we got there, myself and the core team of that new IP were drafted onto the crowd team hmm. to basically finish off the crowd. So I right. jumped in about halfway through the, the crowd development um, on Hitman Absolution, and I helped to build that. Um, and that's where I kind of accidentally stumbled into animation programming. Um, yeah, I was working with Michael Butner, who's sort of hmm. like the grandpappy of uh, motion matching. True story. Um, and he's not at UB anymore, though, is he? He was. No, he's at NVIDIA at the moment. Oh, interesting. Um, and I think he's working in Omniverse. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but basically, yeah, through him, I was mostly doing AI, and I kind of like got hooked on this animation stuff. Yeah. And, Naturally, there's a huge overlap between AI and animation technology. Yeah, to a large degree. Um, 
it was just interesting because I was interested in always the navigation side of animation and that, and then in reality in games that that basically ties into animation. There's no way of avoiding it, and so it was just a natural fit. Plus, the time it was kind of I, I blew through my tasks really fast, and then my lead technically was like, "Shit, I have nothing for him." Mike was like, "I have a task. Oh boy, <laughs> come come help me port uh, you know the crowd to PS3 back then." And I was like, uh, "Sure." I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but sure, I'll 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 try. Um, and through that, we kind of developed a relationship, and then basically acted as my mentor for the time I was there. Um, pretty much laid the foundation for all of my kind of thinking about animation, like what I still think is wrong and right, and different approaches to things. Sort of like laid laid the groundwork for my entire career to some degree. Uh, I'm curious, Bobby. When you when you were to to school uh, to to learn coding, did you have any idea in your mind that you know, in, in terms of job afterward, what was it for you? Like, oh, for sure, if I do this, I'm going to have work for you know eternity, or was it more like, ah, that's something that is interesting, and let's see how how it turns out. Um, I always wanted to do something with computers and programming, so I I was lucky that when I was like what, 15, 16, it was right at the kind of height of the dot-com bubble. Mm -hmm. And at that point, everybody wanted websites and web pages and that and stuff. So at that time, I started working professionally as a web developer because, you know, at that period of time, there was no skills. Everybody wanted the stuff. And so people would take a 16-year-old seriously, mm -hmm. you know. So I was consulting for large companies uh, <laughs> back home, making websites, doing backends, that kind of stuff, because I was available. I always knew I liked that aspect like the problem solving, the building something. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to do it with the context of games. That was always kind of my thing. But I had no idea what specifically in games. And I kind of, I, I don't know, I picked AI randomly. I don't know why. I just, that was sort of the thing that interested me. And that's the thing I was kind of doing. And yeah. That was, that was not a bad choice at all, seeing how the industry is evolving. Exactly. <laughs> no, and, and so technically my my actual, um, my my academic degrees and stuff are in AI. Mm -hmm. They're not in games or anything. I, I mean, I technically have, you know, a computer science degree with a specialization in industrial AI, which again, <laughs> yeah. nowadays is uh, technically a good thing. Back then it was like, meh, whatever, but, yeah. you know. Well, you now, know, that, now that game are pretty much doing everything and we're yeah. talking about the metaverse and basically building the matrix, I would say any kind of skills <laughs> in programming is, is seems to be needed in, mm. in game nowadays. Yeah, it's, so it's it's interesting that it's the, the gateway was the AI, and then you started talking to Michael Butner, who who um, is as you said was the you you dropped it very casually. I don't know if everyone in chat knows what it is, but but um, motion matching technology was was something that hit the scene not so long ago, which is a very um, innovative way of of um, well, why don't you why don't you do your uh, you'll probably do a better job than I would trying to give a high level description of what motion matching is. So it's it's. The most simplified way of describing it is that what you're doing is you're converting um, the motion of the capsule of the character, basically the, the the desires in terms of velocity, heading, facing, that sort of thing. And then you're trying to convert that into what's the right animation clip to play, mm -hmm. given like current animation state um, mm -hmm. and these desires. It's basically trying to solve the problem of, hey, I'm telling this this nebulous capsule thing to move like this. Find me a set of like, animations that match this and provide what i need to do yeah that's yeah. that's kind of the idea behind it um 
because traditionally we would build these graphs that make that decision very rigid. We need to predict what the choices might need to be based on a bunch of values or variables that are currently in runtime, like velocity and heading direction, things like this, and then just make blended sort of choices to another animation state that would play a different animation. So, so motion matching under the hood is still doing the exact same thing. It's just it's now just, a black box, yes. which is trained by some mechanism, whether it's a neural yeah. net or it's a yeah. machine learning thing. It's fundamentally doing the same thing. Um, one would argue is that it's supposed to be um, easier and it works great and stuff. The problem is you lose the control. Yeah. Because now, whereas in the graph version, you could do a tweak, you could adjust a specific totally. transition, you could control how one thing go. Yeah. With motion matching, you're kind of trusting the system to do it for you. Yeah. And often, I don't want to get too much into this, but there are a lot of issues with it. And there's a lot yeah. of like um, pros and cons to the both approaches. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm not a fan. Um, I know that's sort of, I'm, I'm kind of the contrary one. Um, not necessarily. There's a lot of people who are not a big fan. I think most people are saying what you're saying. It's like, it's, it's not the, it's not the magic bullet that some people once thought it was. No, but it's, it's a, it's a fun tech problem. And that's one of my general kind of issues sometimes with the industry is that engineers, a lot of times will jump onto a piece of tech just because it's a fun problem. Yeah, um, sure. Um, even if they, and a lot of the time they probably don't understand the whole like a to z of the the, the field that they're in but they'll mm. they'll pick a thing and say hey this looks like a shiny approach to the problem that i have yeah. but i don't really know the problem space but this looks like the right thing and so they'll jump in head first and they'll they'll invest a lot of engineering time in yeah. that yeah. um to try it's, something out which it's pioneering um, right like it's like it's true it's, it feels like real discovery as opposed to just sort of like solving already known problems maybe that's why it's so attractive. i'm not even sure it's that because a lot of the time mm. these people are not inventing this themselves they're basically mm. saying hey i saw that's a true. gdc talk of some other company doing this so let's let's go you know mm. when yeah. michael did this initially for the crowd he was solving a very specific problem uh because there was you know like three thousand agents that needed to have this solved so he needed a very very fast um simplified Mm. way to do this and at the time we were using morpheme which was a relatively heavy thing and you couldn't yeah. run that for 5,000 characters so he built a very simplified motion matching approach that said well i have this little like particle that's moving in this direction pick an animation and share yeah. it across the crowd yeah so that that was a problem that needed a specific solution yeah and then it grew into this kind of oh but we can extend it and then all of a sudden it'll just solve all the graph problems for us magically you dropped another um brand there and I, just kind of casually i just I'll be, I'll be bobby translator for the rest of the day but uh, morpheme by the way for the for those who are interested uh, in knowing what that is is uh, was a technology that was actually quite old now um it's been around for a while but you will have seen that kind of technology in games like gta for instance um, they or did, used, they, did Morpheme ever get in there? Because it's no, the same company that developed it. Which was the yeah, you're right. Sort of same company, though, right? Solver thing. Same company. Yeah, same same yeah. company. Natural Motion. They they had like two packages. They had Morpheme, which was a traditional graph base. I would argue that that's probably the foundation for most animation okay. graphs. That um, yeah. because it was back then, it was like decades ahead of everything else. Oh, yeah. um, and to some degree, if I look at what's out there right now, it, it's still ahead in in certain aspects. Um, not that it exists anymore. And then they also had this mm -hmm. Euphoria package, which was basically powered ragdoll kind yeah. of controllers, which which is what um, GTA famously had, That's which right. was when you get hit by a car, you know, you had this cool kind of blended um, animation physics response. Or if you drank too much, you'd, they would simulate yeah. this sort of like drunken stupor that you were kind of uh, like exactly. in control a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't and, uh, really a product as much as they sent engineers that helped you build the system. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Because a lot of people were very unhappy licensing that software and then wondering why their stuff doesn't magically look like GTA stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a platform. It still needs to be understood and leveraged, right? Yeah. I was saying before the stream, um, kind of coming back a little bit, like, you know, what makes like most, a lot of, like when I was new to video games, I needed to kind of figure this out on my own, but there's a big difference in my mind, or at least there has become a big difference in my mind between um, a programmer who's assigned animation related ta tasks versus someone who I would truly call an animation program, someone who specializes in animation related tasks. And the, one of the very um, organic, very um, uh, analog ways that my brain would be able to determine the difference between them was something as simple as um, me having me, me being brought to a programmer's desk to validate a task that they have done. And I look at it awkwardly being like, uh, are we sure we're done versus the experience of being tapped on my shoulder by an, by an animation programmer being like, Hey, can you come over take a look at the data? Like I, it's broken. Like it's like, it does not look right. It's like the difference is, is such a world of difference in my mind from an animation perspective, from a directorial perspective, the big difference is really that you have an eye that might've probably just been developed just by working with it for so long. Um, maybe by, or maybe you already, you always had one and you just didn't know until you started working with it. It's probably a bit of both. It's depends on the personality. I think some people like, I know mm -hmm. engineers that they are only concerned with necessarily the, the coding, the yeah. sort of like, does it function? Yes, yeah. no, that kind of thing. They're not yeah. so concerned with the art, the gray know? area. Yeah. The art. Yeah. You know, the they, they get a task, they say, well, it's functionally doing what it's supposed to, but you yeah. know, like, I don't care about the rest necessarily. It's not, it's not something I'm interested in. I was interested in the, um, how it looks. I guess maybe it's the AI too, because like you want it to be believable characters. So obviously natural animation, good looking transition, that sort of thing makes sense. Yeah. But also for me, like I like, I am a creative person. I just have no art skills. Mm. And I admit that I have zero art skills. So I like to think of myself as sort of a enabler for those teams. Mm. Like I've worked recently with VFX teams, tech art teams, that sort of thing, to try to give them the best tooling and stuff to enable the art. But as part of that, I learn their workflows and mm. their problem space. And I think if you don't do that, you can't really be a good engineer in that field because the assumption is that, oh, I can just do my thing. and I don't have to give a shit about how their pipelines, their workflows, yeah. what, how they work at all and that's not true because a lot of times i'm right now it's funny i'm helping another very senior programmer who's like a genius in physics um he's learning about animation and i'm helping him learn about animation mm -hmm. by guiding through some of the code and that you know working right. with him. and i'm noticing how he's trying to fix bad data in code and a lot of programmers will do that they'll be like well this data shit so i'm gonna hack the import it's like no stop hold on go to the animator and ask them why the fuck is there 90 on the root yeah. You know? yeah, like, yeah. Most of the time it would be like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just imported it from Motion Build. They put a 90, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? It's like a complete export, black box. You know, those kind of things where it's 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 difficult because you are trying to import data that's been authored by somebody in a very specific way into another piece of software. You need to understand how that data was made to be able to even import it correctly to understand and parse what's there. And yeah. if there's a problem, you need to understand, is the problem on my side? Is the problem in the data? You know, a lot of engineers will just add random shit until it works and say, yeah, job's done, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I can move forward in my life, you know? And 
that's only solved the problem though obviously because yeah. people are still producing the data in the same way and that could lead to all kinds of yeah, other problems and then you end up with like all your exporters in maya yeah. whatever hacked and people yeah. doing god knows what and arcane knowledge of like no 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 if you want it to work in the game it has to flip this and add this extra bone and you know all the kind of shit what, that what about what about the other way around? Like for all the animators that are listening to the stream right now and, and like kind of having their eyes widened to this, this whole concept of there being someone who programs, who is essentially enabling their work and making sure that it can look as good as possible in the game. What kind of like, what would be the core minimal skill set that, you, oh, I'm hearing that echo again. I don't know why. What would be the, what would be the, uh, the, the, the minimal sort of core skill set that you would expect on a technical level for animators in the video game industry today, in today's day and age? Honestly, I don't, I don't think there's much difference in terms of like technical skill between let's say a film and a game animator. Hmm. Where it comes in is understanding the application of where that animation is going to be used. I think that's the fundamental difference. I don't think on a technical and artistic level, there's too much difference. The only, the only understanding that needs to be there is this animation in a film just needs to work within my scene and in, in the DCC. But this animation in the game needs to work within an arbitrary, dynamically changing environment. Mm -hmm. So that distinction is key. It's like um, one common struggle that I see a lot of film animators coming in when they try to do the transition is that they don't understand that, you know, we can't have these um, settled. I don't know what the, you know, I'm going to use certain animation terminology, which I think everybody <laughs> has different ones. I remember talking to a and I'm director in, in the US and I said a settle and they were like, what, what do you mean by settle? You know, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically they'll do an animation with a large follow through of secondary motion or sort of like subtle kind of, you know, relaxation mm -hmm. setting down. And in games it's like, no, we can't afford that. You can't have like mm -hmm. a three second long stop animation or like a six meter long stop. I, I know it's physically correct if you're sprinting to stop in like X amount of time and then you have like, um, velocity, degradation, weight transfer, all that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a game. We can't have you let go of the stick and have the character run off the cliff, right? Uh, <laughs> we could. It just might not be very fun. Huh? We could. It just might not be very fun. You could. <laughs> and generally, then you'll have an angry Bobby at your desk going, like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a really <laughs> good way to Even make... worse, you'll have somebody that doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. Yelling in a room saying, what the fuck? The controls yeah. are shit. We broke yeah, one. exactly. It, yeah. It's it's a really good way to make good friends with the design department. That's for sure. Sorry, David. <laughs> friends, yes, <laughs> sure. Uh, that's fundamentally. I think in terms of workflows and stuff, um, it's fundamentally, I guess, the same for a regular animator. They get given a control rig and they animate using the control rig. The only skill, well, the only difference being in games, a lot of the time they will have to animate the route, whether it's a separate. Um, locator or null in the scene or whether it's part of the actual character skeleton there's this additional concept of a root bone or a ground bone or a position mm -hmm. bone or whatever you want to call it which essentially is the position of the capsule in the game mm -hmm. and that's one thing that a gameplay animator will need to do whereas um it's not a concept that exists in films or even in cinematics um and that can be challenging because a lot of programmers cannot explain what that thing is properly they can't speak animator ease yeah, so yeah. they can't explain to them like what is this thing and that's always been hard where it's like okay i i have to i often go make friends with the tech art tech anim team and say like hey um in the control rig put a preview of a capsule where that bone is so that they can see a capsule in their scene and mm -hmm. so when they animate it they understand the relation of the capsule and the character 
And then for them, it becomes a much easier um, yeah. concept to understand because they're like, oh, okay, the capsule is where the game thinks the character is. And then the mesh is where the mesh will be, but it's not where the game thinks the character is. And then yeah. you can have presets for saying, okay, if we crouch, the capsule's this high. <clears throat> if we're this, you, you would set some presets so that when they animate, they can position the capsule correctly. And, and that's a big pain point where um, a lot of animators are not taught this. They're not aware of this thing. And so we end up, the, the classic example is the crouched pose, mm. where if you crouch next to a wall, your head's halfway in the wall, right? Because totally. your capsule is here, but then yeah. your, your head is sticking out the side yeah, of the capsule. Yeah, you're leaning forward too much. And... and so it's animated because, you know, the root is projected between the hips or whatever onto mm. the ground. But in that situation, that, that capsule needs to have been projected forward so that the head doesn't stick through. Yeah. Because again, the ass sticking through the back is less noticeable than having half your character's head stuck through a wall or popping up the side of a staircase or something. Um, and it's those kind of things that have to be sort of explained, taught, position capsule. Hanging animations are another big one where it's like, well, the character's hanging. Where is this capsule in relation to their actual body? Mm -hmm. And then the transition out, then that capsule has to follow a, a very clear path. And if it's just a bone in the scene, yeah. it's very hard to explain that. Whereas if you draw a capsule and you have your, you know, you have your ledge and the characters <laughs> hanging and then they go up, you can basically see if the capsule goes through the wall and out here, you're like, hmm. that's probably what you want is that motion yeah. on the capsule. You don't want through the wall and then up. And so, once they have the visualization, it, it becomes a much simpler concept to, to explain. But a lot of places don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so they just expect animators to animate the, the route correctly and then get angry when there's like um, sliding between transitions or mm -hmm. collisions where the route's going through walls and shit like that. Yeah. So, Bobby, you, you've been in the industry for a couple of years now. And <clears throat> although you didn't work in all studio, have, have you seen any uh, increase of awareness of, of from the animators over time? Like what you're describing 10 years ago was new concept for most gameplay animators but now it's more you know most of them are aware and unfortunately not um the way the industry is heading right now is that we are basically filling a lot of the roles with less technical people so what is happening is we've now created the second class of animators called technical animators who are supposed to be the ones that understand this and your regular run-of-the-mill animator shouldn't care about anything. They should just sit in a little scene and animate the, the pretty thing, and that's it. They mm -hmm. don't they don't know how it's used in the game. They basically just have an anime director walk past the desk and say, yeah, that looks cool. No, that doesn't look cool. And that's it. They, they hit the export button, and a technical yeah. animator will then take it and integrate it into the engine. I think that's a mistake. Um, so do you think it's a general maybe lack of interest, or it's more from management that is not pushing to make sure that... Uh, here's if needed, we're going to create some, you know, training around this to make sure that everyone at the very least are aware that this is expected, even if it's not the favorite part of their, their work. I think it's more of a, just a hyper-specialization. I, I don't know why we do this hyper-specialization, but I, I feel that it's like people are trying to say, well, I'm important because I'm a technical animator and, you know, it's some sort of gatekeeping thing. And it's like, it, it shouldn't be that way. Um, I don't even understand the need for the technical animators, uh, mm -hmm. to be entirely honest. Um, I, you know, there is obviously the, you know, technical animator is such a nebulous term as well because it means different things to different companies. Like that's true. Having a technical animator that basically just integrates animation to the engine, 
I mean, a programmer could do that just as well uh, to some degree. Um, if he's got a good eye and he's got experience, they, they could do it to some degree too. Where technical animators are usually better, good is to kind of come up with how much coverage we need for a specific anim set, those kind of things, and then work with the animators to basically create the actual variations, the good quality. So they'll basically like do like a block up pass on a um, anim set and then work with the animation to do it. There, I think there's benefit, but once they do that block up pass, handing it off and just not explaining how the route should be in order, this kind of stuff is also weird. So it's like, yeah. I would expect animators to understand when they animate something, how it's working, because <laughs> I've been in workflows where animators will make the animation, hand it off to TechAnim, TechAnim will then go through and fix the route at every single animation and then put it into the engine, you know? Because I've often heard, oh, well, they're animators, they can't animate the route, you can't expect them to do it. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. Like, it's not rocket science, like just show them, teach them that it's not a hard thing. I don't know why you have to gatekeep that shit, you know? Mm. Yeah. Where tech animators, I think, make sense are the pipeline TDs. Those yeah. ones absolutely make sense because they are half programmers. They are, you know, writing your like uh, deformation constraints. They're writing the exporters. They're writing all the um, control rigs, the IK switchers, all that kind of stuff. There, those those are technical. Those are more. They're practically programmers at that point. Yeah, I feel. Oh, go ahead. Do, do it. No, I was just going to say that I think that you know, uh, hyper specialization. Uh, especially in big studio, whether a big AAA developer or a DreamWorks or Disney or, or, or whatnot, is something that almost by default is happening. So I would expect that in smaller indie studio, they have two or three animators. They are also the technical technical animators themselves. If you go on bigger team, 15, 20 animators, then you might have three or four tech animators that are in charge of being this bridge. So I'm, it's actually a question, but I'm curious to, to see if there's a different dynam dynamics between those big AAA teams and smaller indie, uh, uh, indie team that have to, yes, they, they don't have the luxury of having like two animator and one technical animator. No, they, mm. they all need to do everything. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Like again, personally, I would I would prefer that most animators, and I mean most of them, if I actually bypass their leads and sometimes mm -hmm. like the tech, and I sit with them and explain to them, hey, I'm having trouble with these animations. This is what the root does. Come come to my desk. I'll show you in the game how it works. You can I'll show you the visualization. I'll show you the issues. You can understand. And then they usually go back here like, oh shit, I understand. Now let me. And then they go back in five minutes. They fixed everything because now they mm -hmm. understand. Which is why I asked for that visualization because, as I said, most tooling doesn't have that. So yeah. it's just some random bone. Mm -hmm. Same thing with animating anchor bones. Um, I don't know what the terminology, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. Be able to pair things together in the game. Yeah, locators that specify this is an interaction point in the world or whatever. Trying to explain to them how to animate these is yeah. also very difficult. Yeah, because it's abstract to them. Where you can just provide some tooling, some visualization, and just. Um, I think in the old days, they used to be, well, there wasn't necessarily this tech animator intermediary layer. So what would end up happening is an animator and a programmer would sit together and <clears throat> implement the gameplay feature. You know, so the animators would by necessity be more technical because they're working closer with the programmer trying to get the thing into the game. And so they have a better understanding of how my animation is used, how the controls map to it, all those kind of things. And they're sort of almost playing it as they make the anim. Whereas right now, I, I, I know a lot of programmers in larger productions, they just produce animation, hand it off, and then they yeah. don't know how it's used. They'll see it again in the game. Yeah, pretty much, Brent. Yeah, they wash their hands of it. But <laughs> that's not the, because they want to. It's just that's the 
pipeline that we've yeah. built. So, and, and that's problematic. They make an set and then if something goes wrong, they get blamed. Yeah. But they don't really understand why necessarily. Or it's like, well, I did what I was supposed to, but no, you changed the distances, you changed the metrics. And they're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't yeah. know why these metrics exist. I don't know what I need to take care of. Um, and a lot of the time, this is some very basic stuff that nobody would believe me if I explain some of the stuff that I've seen where it's like being in, in like multi-meeting long arguments, um, trying to explain why we need a takedown that's on the spot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing i wasn't at the time mm. uh, but you know like multiple meetings in a row and a big fight and a big political mess yeah because it's like no we need to make you know takedowns that start immediately from the character yeah. no it's impossible we can't make it look good we need at least a meter and a half and it's like yeah what if the player is right here and you push yeah. the button do we teleport you back and then play yeah what do you expect us I, to do? I, I really feel like, unfortunately, animation leadership in video games have a bad name for themselves because of this. It's the same thing. It's an extension of the anim. A lot of the. And I wouldn't even. This is not an animator only problem. This is uh, an artist problem with with regards to understanding the technology enough to understand that it's not just making pretty things and sticking them in and they just magically work. There are there is a great deal of of flexibility and adaptability that needs to be put into the, the plan on how that data is made so that it can be as real time and fu as functional as it needs to be. Um, and yeah, I find that there's usually this, a lot of sandbagging on, but it's quality first. It's like, no, no, that is such an antiquated idea. You, you, I'm not saying quality is not important. You need to make sure that there's a plan where the artists and the technological, that the people that are handling technology like yourself are somehow finding a way of reducing the compromise like so that there's hopefully not a huge hit to quality um but it certainly it should never be a hit to the actual ability to to mechanically use the feature in the game i would even argue that um if you really want the best quality you have to start from a constrained problem yeah, to begin with absolutely because if you have a constraint of saying like this is the distance i can cover this is the space this is what i'm allowed to do and you have that iron down it limits your problem space so you can focus more on what's the best way to match this metric in terms of like motion and mm -hmm. in terms of feeling and sort of time versus saying, do a takedown. Yeah. It's like, okay. Okay, cool. I'm have the character somersault and spin. It's like, whoa. And then somebody comes like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I have a six second long takedown animation? Well, yeah. you didn't tell me not to. Yeah. You know, it's a true whatever. story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, funny though, because I often, I, and I on the floor, I've watched this happen time and time again with some of my peers that are in creative roles. Uh, especially creative leadership roles where they tend to get their noses at a joint when some of those some of those constraints are added to them. They're like they they, they kind of act they break out in a rash because they're just like I can't like make it look good like this as opposed to accepting that there is a certain reality that needs like the, the design the mechanic like you're making some an animation from a design that has a bunch of rules to it. So right off the bat there's that and then there's you know a bunch of technological constraints as well. It's almost like as if some people just don't want to accept that there are constraints because they they either don't agree with them or they don't understand them or a little bit of both you know? if i wanted to be flippant and this is a joke oh, i please think do. heard multiple times said it's like that a whole bunch of gameplay animators are just frustrated film animators yeah it's so true sometimes <laughs> you know uh, yeah. i think that's a very simplistic way of thinking it, but fundamentally it's like for some people you know within a game it it is a very specified um domain it is it has by its nature constraints because you are not trying to make an animation necessarily you were trying to provide a way to move your character within 
a dynamic environment and reacting to specific inputs. Yep. So the primary goal is to make the motion consistent, smooth, functional, um, and that. Like visual flair is a secondary priority. The, the problem is that that sometimes gets mixed up. And so the visual flair becomes the identity of the character. Exactly. And the movement and the access is, uh, you know, the, that's kind of forgotten and said, well, gameplay will fix it or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with characters that slide everywhere yeah. because the animations don't match what the game designers wanted. And so now we have sliding because yeah. you have this fight. And I think this is, again, where we've hyper-specialized. We split the teams. You know, We have a lot of people that just work in their little domain. They don't, they don't really understand other people's workflows. Yeah. Um, and everybody has a different director asking them to do different things. Like the Adam director is like, quality, it needs to look super cool, blah, blah, blah. You know, fuck gameplay, make it super sexy. And gameplay is like, well, it needs to be reactive. Like, fuck animation. Like, uh, <laughs> what the true. hell is this? Like, my character oh, feels man. like I'm a battleship, you know, when I yeah. see it. Yeah. And all the people on the floor, they're trying to do the stuff. They're just like, what? I don't even know which. Yeah. Area. And then usually gameplay programs stuck in there going like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. To fucking battle royale this yeah. and tell me who wins. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's going, you know, just really quickly. <clears throat> what's going on with my throat right now? <clears> Here <throat> we get it. Um, the um, going back to the topic of tech animators. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So I just wanted to sort of put my cards on the table here because I'm curious how you feel about it. Um, so I do agree with everything you said. I think that uh, I, I think the only thing I kind of got hung up on was this idea that you don't understand the 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 need for tech animators. I I feel like this this revolution of of having like well let, let's address one of the things you talked about that not not everyone might everyone might not understand this. Tech animators is like you said is a broad term that different companies, different studios, different projects, even even within the same company, have a completely different definition for. And this is kind of a problem because when it comes to recruiting, we will look for tech animators, and even though we write it in the description, people are still you're still going to get a bunch of riggers, for instance, applying to that job description, or people that are pipeline experts, like you were saying, people that build um, export pipelines and they build uh, you know a whole facial pipeline that's you know meant to get from from DCC into into the uh, the engine these are obviously very different roles compared to someone who is building animation trees um and graphs inside the engine they're the ones that are you know building up blend spaces and they're mm -hmm. essentially kind of architecting like they're in a weird in a way in my mind they're kind of like they're kind of like animation programmers in training uh, without the actual programming background. Like they don't have, they don't have a code. They don't know the syntax, but they're doing the lower level things that an animation programmer, like you said, could, but there is a little bit of stuff that you could sort of give them to sort of develop things out in, if they're working hand in hand with someone like yourself. And, and this is what sometimes I absolutely yeah. agree because fundamentally like an animation graph is visual programming. It is. The issue that is that a lot of animators don't have the background in, programming no, or logic or whatever so they they don't have that skill set yep and that's why a lot of times people complain oh the graph is messy it's it's unusable yeah. it's because somebody just went in and made spaghetti because they're um so yeah you can get more technical uh animators that are maybe better at building graphs but they need to fun fundamentally still be animating too because they Absolutely. need to add bridge i think there's value in there but there's mm -hmm. also a very sort of um painful workflow thing that sometimes arises from that where a gameplay programmer would then expose some parameters mm -hmm. say here i gave you some parameters the tech animator would then try to use them and say yeah this doesn't work for me bounce it back 
-hmm. he'll add a couple more parameters or adjust them bounce it back and that that loop is just painful um what i feel is a better approach is that initially an animator and, and the programmer will work together in the future yes they will potentially build the graph together and the parameters so that the programmer is building the graph while building the parameters at the same yep. time, getting the first pass. Once both are happy, then you hand it off to the animator and say like, here you go, yep. tune the uh, blends, tweak stuff, yep. whatever. Yep. You've got your functional working version. You can add on top of that. But we've set up the graph logic. We've done all the transitions. Mm-hmm. If it's multiplayer, we've made sure that it goes in the right place in every scenario, like the signals are being read back and forth. You know, they get a template to build on top of, which is a much faster iteration because a gameplay program is saying, what do you need? Oh, these three parameters. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't know. We yeah, haven't yeah. done this. So we I don't know enough of the problem yet to even know yeah, what we need. I, I, exactly. I don't know, you know. Yeah, full disclosure, I really feel like the future of, of game development when it comes to animation's role in it, I really feel like tech tech animators are going to become just the animators of the future, in my mind, because, hear me out, I ideally not and i've all the last few teams that i've helped try to build up i've always put a priority on hiring people that are able to do the things you just said someone who's able to interface with someone like yourself to kind of architect the systems understand the needs but they also need to be able to animate well enough that they can at least build prototype animations they can so i'm going to say something controversial here oh my god here we go i don't think that tech animators have any gameplay tech animators have any special skills versus regular animators I think I can teach any regular animator how to integrate them into the graph. Any? I don't think animator? it's a special a mindset. Statement. I That's don't think it's anything else. I'm sorry? Is that a challenge? Because, I mean, I think I can find some animators that would break well, the world. I mean, tell, tell we both know some animators that... Uh, <laughs> but my point is that <clears throat> any animator that, you know, understands the needs for gameplay and understands the domain, showing them a graph, especially like with the one that I built, that's like relatively simple to use. Within 20 minutes, they'll have something working. You know, and over a couple of like days of working with the engineer, they'll understand how this stuff works, and that'll make them a better animator for it because they'll start thinking, okay, the animation they're producing, they're going to blend like this. This is well, this is how I'm going to sort of put them in the graph. I'm going to put them in a range blend here. I'm going to then blend here. This is the transit. You know, they're already kind of thinking because they understand. Yeah. Right. right now, we have again this class of animators that have hyper specialized into technical animators that are still sort of animating to some degree yeah but they're more like prototyping yeah but they're not necessarily technical enough to build the gameplay feature entirely by themselves without the engineer yeah and to some degree they've potentially not animated in a long time so they're not as necessarily as um up to speed and practiced as right an animator that's purely animating where i feel Mm -hmm. that in general, lately, maybe I'm getting jaded or something. I feel that we need to stop with this hyper-specialization and start bringing mm-hmm. the teams together and having more more overlap, um, more collaboration and more working mm-hmm. together like mm-hmm. we used to back in the old days where it was yeah. like, you know, when I was starting out and learning about animation, it was we had animators, we had programmers, and they sat together at yeah. like one machine and tweaked stuff. Out. Yeah. You know, or they sat with two machines side by side doing a quick of the tweak of the animation, exporting it, putting the game, let's try it out back and forth. Let me tweak some parameters. And yeah. within a day, you built a system. You know, yeah. the animation yeah. might not have been the prettiest, but they were functional. And then afterwards, you could make them pretty because... Well, yeah. So let me let me just throw a, a problem, though, that I see in that particular approach. Um, I find that it's, I think, like, and I think you would agree because you just said this, I think it's easier to train up an animator 
and in general to be able to understand a lot of these skills than it is to find um, animation programmers like yourself. That's the thing. Like, so that term animation programmer is also a little bit um, tricky because it means different things to some people. Some That's people true. think an animation program is an engine programmer that deals with the blending, sampling, and that. And it's like, and compression. And yeah, you're right. Sure. But I mean, like, an engine programmer could sort of do that too. Um, what an animation program fundamentally is, is a gameplay program specialized in, you know, he understands they or they understand the how the animations are integrated to the gameplay, how they're used, what they're needed for. Mm -hmm. So they're fundamentally usually a 3C program or an AI program that's doing with navigation because they understand like how does it interface with animation? What kind of constraints do I need in animation? What sort of animation coverage do I need? And then they can work with the animator and say, hey, um, here's my problem space. Here's what I need to solve in terms of gameplay. This is the mo motion that I have. This is what I need to cover. These are all the kind of entries into it. These are all the ways I can leave how do we build a, a sensible set of anims that provide coverage for this problem? Um, good gameplay programmers do that. They understand that. The, you know, um, a lot of programmers, though, on the other hand, think animation is this super scary, complex thing, and it's not. And so they stay away because oh, it's 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 complicated. They just you know play animation. They play a single animation. They don't understand how anything blends or anything works. But then those same programmers are just not you know, they're not your superstars, you know, what you want is somebody that actually cares, is curious, wants to understand how it works, and they want to talk with the animator and, and kind of get the best result from both sides by a lot of the times my best experiences in games was working with an animator and, and having a really fast mm. back and forth of saying like, hey, this is the problem we're trying, so how are we doing? And then we're acting it out on the floor and we're trying to figure out how many steps and how do we blend stuff? You know, we haven't animated anything, we haven't written a line of code, we're just looking like idiots dancing around mm. uh, at our desks, trying to figure out, okay, well, if we do a start set, do we do bladed? Do we do uh, mirrored? How are we going to do the starts? Are they going to blend together? We're going to just do coverage and then warp them. Those kind of things where it's, it's needed because it will define how the code is written. It will define how the animations are made. And we don't do that enough anymore. A lot of the time, people just want to work in silos. So sometimes um, animation will just run ahead and say, oh, we mo-capped all the shit for the feature. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 design is half done. Well, what if you mo-capped? Yeah, we got everything already. Yeah, we got you, everything. You don't know what, what? Yeah. you know? And then you get the day team, you're like, I oh, can't do any of this. Like, why did you do this? Or vice versa, yeah. it's like... You know, that's, you know what? It's so funny. He's he, so Bobby's saying this so casually, but it's so, it's so important. It's such a, such a poignant thing to say because this is illustrating so clearly the disconnect between departments that often happen, like where you have an animation department that really truly thinks they did a great thing. They did, they went, got a bunch of data, but they have literally, there's no way that they got the data because how could they know? Because the data always needs to be shot, understanding how it's going to be used in the game. And so it is like, so when Bobby hears something like that, he knows that there's a good chance the data is garbage because if he's halfway through designing how the, how like the system, how it's going to work, how can anybody be able, like, are they from the future? Do they know what he was going to come up with? And they preemptively shot the data to perfectly fit that mold. That's the question. Probably not. Well, well that was the one thing I remember. If, if you remember when we were working together, um, when we did a mocap shoot for that project, I'm not mm -hmm. going to name it, you know, mm -hmm. I went to the mocap shoot with you and yep. we were there together and we were kind of like, there were bits where the, the actor got a bit confused and he wasn't sure. And I had to jump in and say, okay, no, no, it's going to be like this because yep. that's the motion, you know, 
And that's sort of the thing that a lot of times engineering and, and gameplay is left out of the mocap. True. They just like explain it to an animal and then the animal director goes yeah. and he does the mocap, but he, he doesn't necessarily know the nitty gritty of each feature or the coverage no. or how the animations yeah. are captured and no designer is there, no programmers there. Yeah. So you get back the data and you hope it works. Yeah. Or you spend a lot of time like, like bending it to make it work. Right. And, and yeah. And, and this was the one nice thing when I was at IO that um, I think was a huge win is that we had a mocap studio in the building. It was a really small one with some terrifying features like padded walls because you couldn't technically slow down <laughs> in that space. So if you ran at full speed, your, your slowing down was slamming into the padded wall and hoping it didn't hurt too badly. Um, but if we needed animator, we basically just grabbed an animator, you know, rolled some dice and said, okay, you jump in the suit, let's go. Yeah. And we went downstairs and we captured what we needed. And, and we were actually capturing with a metronome sometimes. We would put markers for where the steps needed to be. We would do this in a very methodical way because, you know, you've got the engineering mindset, you've got the art thing, you've got the style. Um, these days, with a lot of the unions and the union actors, it makes it very difficult to, to have that workflow because as soon as you have a union actor, you cannot now have any non-union Actors, so you can't just go downstairs, capture some footage, and stick it yeah. in the game. It's animator is exactly you can't put animator footage in the game, technically speaking, because that's a non-union yeah. performer. Yeah, which which is absolutely frustrating. And <laughs> David, I think the one company they online. they signed up an act, one of the animators as a union member and paid union dues just so they could get around this. <laughs> oh, you know, man. I think there was some things like that where, and and that's the loop you need, where you need to be able to say, hey, this this. This is the data. Let's say even the, the, the block up pass in the animation, just jump in an extent mm -hmm. suit or a quick mocap and, and just yep. do a block up pass of like, this is the timing, this is the distances. Yep. You know, this was the velocity. I remember when we were doing it, we had that velocity tracker that we were paying attention to when we were recording the, the run cycles. Uh, when we were at game on, um, which yep. again, I don't know if people are doing this because then they get the data and then I have to have a conversation saying, yeah, you're 20% off the metric. Yeah, so. That's what the actor ran it. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if work. you're running at six meter seconds and you're twenty percent off, yeah. What do you think is going to happen? That's seven and a, almost seven and a half meters now versus six. It's a, it's a slight difference, you know. <laughs> and then so, you have to sit in mobile and try to scale the animation to fit, and it's it's you know it's it's painful. At that point, you could have just keyframed the damn thing. So so sorry before we we move too far away from from the subject uh i want to hear your take on technical animators because you're probably the biggest evangelist for this role and i've never seen a bigger demand in the industry that we have right now mm -hmm. for technical animators so i think that bobby did a a great job for explaining his yeah. his, his side of the uh, the perspective so why why do we need technical animators in your uh, opinion. I, I just, I, I think it's, I, I think I'm calling them something different so that we can identify them. I think that I would like to have more people that understand the things that, that Bobby's saying. Like, I don't want an army of animators that are like, oh, but like, what do you mean I can't put anticipations in a jump? It's like, this is, it's, I'm, I'm just, maybe I'm just getting old and I'm just tired of having to explain it. So I don't necessarily need them to be able to do all of the things and build a, build a graph on their own perfectly. Or like that, that's the ideal scenario. You have a bunch of like underlings 
things underneath uh, Bobby, but they also know how to animate. This is like a dream come true. It'd be like an, we'd be an unstoppable force. We could make any game. I don't. Like, that's obviously a bit of a blue sky vision, but I think at the very bare minimal, I want animators who at least understand these constraints. They understand these basic con- concepts that the Bobby's been sort of just bashing over bashing us over the heads with all day with just basic understanding of like it's not this this animation is not going to stay in maya and if it you know it's not going to stay there it's not going to just look cool on a play blast it needs to be in a game it needs to be somehow like warped and bent and like adapted to what's happening in the game in real time and that is a completely different thing and if only the people who get this at least understand how to work towards that and I'm tired of dealing with people who are just either it's a spectrum of light that they either can't see or don't care to see because it's just a waste of time. It's a waste of time. And it will end up redoing it, frustrating the people who do get it. And it just it's it just makes the, the process more expensive and more difficult than it, than it needs to be. So I, I know that's a kind of a bit of a pessimistic approach in a weird way that I'm just, you know, and, and it maybe seem a little over heavy handed to to come up with a whole other new title to be able to solve that problem. But in my mind, I would ideally have a team of technically minded animators that understand this and become part of the proper force of positive force people get that they can't just go shoot motion capture data without understanding the plan first people who just they don't have to explain that they just understand because it's obvious this is what i would want and then there's still a place for people because the problem is is that people that are that good at that are probably not as good like bobby was saying it takes time and energy to get good at those things and to spend time working inside of animation graphs and that's time you're not spending honing your craft as an animator so i understand that it's very rare um possibly unicorn level rareness of finding someone who's really quite good at both of those things so chances are you're not going to be a great amazing animator and you won't be able to be good enough to put the data in for shipping the game so there's always going to be a place and a need to bring in animators of some level but i'd like to think at that point the constraints are there the systems are in place people can explain what those 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 constraints are to a to an animator who knows how to do high level polished animation data that will fit within a template but that te- the problem is is you have a lot of those types of people on the project the templates haven't even been made yet and they're just making stuff it's beautiful stuff, but stuff that will never play properly in the game. And if it does, it'll look like a dumpster fire and nothing at all. Like I, my, my classic saying is you can give me a team of Pixar animators. It won't make a lick of difference unless there's a proper workflow and a proper understanding on how to make those animations in a way that will be game friendly. And I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I, I think that there is a place for those more technically minor mm. animators. It's just that the I think the theory is that if we get these people now, the gameplay programmers need to know less about animation because the, this technical animator yeah. group knows, and the animators don't need to know anything technical because now you have technical <laughs> animators, and yeah. so you lose knowledge on both sides, yeah, which yeah. hurts the overall project because now that technical animator they don't know anything about programming. They they you know they should still be able to animate, yeah, but yeah. to Brent's point, they might have lost some of those skills. So yeah, it it hyper specializes people into a pigeonhole yeah. where. If you're not careful, those people like their skills degrade in, in important other areas and it becomes difficult. Also, productions mm. fundamentally are not technically run anymore. So even if you have that group of tech animators, they're not answering to, you know, they're not the ones driving necessarily the animation team. That's still the anim director. Yeah. Um, so you still you then have two bosses potentially. You have the tech anim team telling you, hey, you need to make the animation like this, and you have the tech dir- the anim director saying, yeah, but I need more anticipation and I need more flair. Right. But um, well, I think it's usually they will be in the same team, right? The I would technical like animators so. and animators will be under the same animation director. 
Yes, but the animation director then has to understand what their goals are, right? And, yeah. and when to ask for what in which context. I, and that can be difficult sometimes because tech animators are fundamentally yeah. answering to gameplay too. Yeah, And that's another big problem because when tech animators answer to anim direction, they're not answering to gameplay anymore. So if the anim director is saying, well, I want polish and I want longer animation, yeah. I want spatial, tech anim, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. can cause a lot of friction sometimes that between teams. You're speaking from, and I, and I, you know, I happen to know this because we worked together at a few projects and you're, you're speaking a lot from, from past experience and, yeah. and some, and I, I think a lot of these things can be theoretically solved by, by having the right type of leadership, right? I mean, I think you, if, 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 if you had an animation director who understands all these things and understands that that's the point and they won't be antagonistic to these other things, then theoretically it can work. It's just, unfortunately in practice, it obviously very often does not. These teams do tend to silo. They tend to start sandbagging a little bit and animation directors i know many of them that have a they've kind of unfortunately really tarnished the reputation and trust of just animation in general on a video game because they are unfortunately not coming to the table and going hey look we get it this is a freaking game we are here to try to make it look as good as we can with within reason because it is a game and these there's features and the character has to do things so but not everyone thinks like that i've seen it with my own eyes to, to be fair the same is true of uh gameplay and game directors <clears throat> yep, because everybody. the exact thing is, is happening where they're like i want super active and said yeah but we can't make it look good i don't care totally. uh what's the one game everybody uses which it's it's super fluid but it looks awful uh the robot game that uh from platinum that everybody uses is the example of like all oh, these super amazing um controls <clears throat> and stuff but yeah it, it's it's the animations popping left, right, and center. Characters turning, the sliding Vanquish? everywhere. Huh? Vanquish. Vanquish. That's it. Vanquish. <laughs> Look at I know that. I can speak Bobby's uh, um, in mind here. That's true of the the game director too. Where they're like, you know, reactivity is over everything, and then it's yeah, like, well, it's true. then that that's hard. And this You're is right. where it's like, You're yes, totally right. it's, it's a leadership issue. It's just sometimes the way we structure our teams, we set ourselves up to fail to some degree because yeah. we we give two different people a direction over. Yeah separate teams which they're supposed to work together and then oftentimes it necessarily the two directors may not agree with one another yeah. and again it, it's a people it's always a people issue in games it's always a people <sighs> issue. i would say this is the, the the perspective from someone that's been in in game for a few years but more on the cinematic side so it's almost like okay the little film team within the uh when you're coming from the film industry that it's fairly like clear what is your role and who you have to report to and what is your job and you take the relay here and you pass it there and when mm -hmm. everyone is done you have the movie at the end <laughs> you go into video game especially triple a video game that has hundreds of, of people and it's just a crazy marathon with every department that needs to work with every department that directors that need to you know ideally get along enough that they can you know uh, have good good decision a good debate of okay well you know uh, you, here's how we're going to approach this problem i understand that you know you're not going to have your way completely it's not going to be mine but we're going to find a good solution for the game uh, I, i'm i think that 10 years from now we're still going to debate what is the perfect recipe for having oh, yeah. everyone work together it, it's such because uh, as you said bobby it's it's managing people the, yep. the, the problem, and that's something with, with, that we often joke about with Daryl, and we're like, because people, 
Yeah. This is why this is why we're here is because those two individuals there didn't want to have this discussion to solve this a month ago and have and now we have to deal with with all of this. It, it, it's yeah, it's a pretty big challenge. Yep, the way things overlap and, and and the way things sort of intertwine in video game productions really exasperates that because, like you said, at least in a video in a, in a film production, it tends to be a little bit more linear. Um, it's not to say you don't have multiple people giving you direction, but at least it's still always moving in a very typically linear path where mm -hmm. video games it's like it's all over the place everything is interconnected and and it's it so if you don't have a bunch of people bobby's one million percent right it's you can't solve this just on the one side it's the entire culture of the entire team they all need to understand that they all need to find some sort of overlap they need to work somehow they it's like often i work on games and it feels like every department's making a different version of the same game and it's like because they're interpreting it through their lens, they're forgetting to look through the other lens a little bit enough to understand, oh, I get it. Yeah, of course. And it's like you can't have a design department that's pushing for 100% reactivity and then an art department that's looking for photo real and then an animation department that's like torn between these two things. They want to make it look like the art, but they want to follow direction of the actual game and asking for things that are like Mario Brothers. And it's like, how do you how do you parse that? And that has to do with a singular understanding from a high level game directorship understanding this is it needs to be they need to be communicating that to their their departments so that there is a balance to the whole thing and everyone understands there's going to be a little bit of compromise on all sides there's no and, way of having and this is sort of where again the lack of technical skills um mm. is starting to bite us in the ass a little bit because mm. if most animators were a bit more technical and understood how the, the animations would be used in the game when mm. For example, you can't expect an Android to always have every gameplay no. feature in mind and everything. So they can say, hey, um, it would be cool if you add some anticipation. And they're like, no, no, but we can't because the way that this is used in the game, this is going to cause a delay, blah, blah, blah. And the animation can be like, okay, that's a good point. Uh, then we can try to solve it in a different route. Let's figure out where yeah. the, the best. And that's where we don't have because a lot of animators just don't know how they animation don't have that reflex. Yeah. And so the anime director says, yeah, I like a bit of anticipation because they're not even necessarily saying that they – you know, they're not doing anything overtly no. kind of conscious. They're just like, no. I'm seeing this thing in Maya. I think it yep. could use a bit of thing here. I don't have yep. the context of how it's used where and what it's going to do. Totally. So his feedback or their feedback at that time is perfectly valid. Yep. The problem is that when the animator that's building this feature doesn't understand how this feature works or is used yep. because it's a tech animator that's involved and he's there's God knows where. At that moment, he's on vacation. I think they can't say, "Hey, hold on, no, look, we can't do that because of that." And that's where a lot of problems come in because then the animations get adjusted. They go yeah. in the game, they fuck up yeah. the thing, goes yeah. back to tech anim. Tech anim's like, "What the fuck? We gave you specific metrics." Yeah. He goes back to the anime. The anime says, "Well, no, the anime came to change it." So, and yeah. then you have this massive loop that just frustrates everybody. Where yeah. it would be better if people. And so the same thing with art. Like now we have tech art and art. Right, and yeah, so art just goes crazy, and we have like 200k polygon screws, and 50 of them on a manifold <laughs> cover. Oh man! And then take us pulling out their hair, going like, "I don't understand what the fuck is going on." Um, <laughs> they well, I'm sure because, those screws look awesome, though. Yeah, but people don't understand necessarily each other's work and how it fits together, and yep. we're hyper specializing to the point where, for example, like character artists don't know how to rig anymore or skin. Right, they just make a mesh and then it's handed off to somebody else that doesn't know how to make you know art anymore, but they just know how to rig, and mm -hmm. then it gets handed off to somebody else that says, "Okay, now I'm going to put a control rig on this," mm -hmm. and then it gets handed off to an animator that just knows how to use a control rig and nothing else. What you could know? possibly go wrong, Bobby? I don't understand. 
Sounds well, a uh, funny story. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, right now, Ubisoft, there is this role called a level artist, um, which by some team's definition, it's not an environment artist, so they don't make art. Okay. But it's not a level designer, so they don't make levels. Okay. So all they do is they take ready-made environment art oh, and a block-up level, and they put it in the level. So they basically just yeah. decorate stuff. And now these people, when they leave UB, they can't necessarily find work because they're oh, not a level yeah. designer and they're not environment artists. They can't do either of these jobs anymore. Maybe they could <laughs> They can only work in another Ubisoft. But they haven't done it anymore, right? Yeah. And so now they've hyper-specialized into a role where they've made themselves sort of unhirable. Now they, they're in a position where they have to relearn either one of those two roles. And yep. that's sort of happening where, like, you know, I'm trying to go indie right now. If I find a, maybe I find a really good character artist, but they can't rig, you know, or skin. <laughs> so now it's like, okay, well, do, do I have to hire a person just to like rig and skin? Yeah. 10 different you know? people just to get a character in the game. Yeah, or or maybe I get a really good animator, but they don't know how to make a control rig anymore. Now now it's like, what do I do? Yeah. Do yep. I contract out a control rig? Do I, you know? And it's these yep. problems where um, I think it's not maybe sexy work and it's not what people want to be doing, but I think there's value in knowing how those things work because once you hit an issue, you totally can agree. fix it. You can understand what's going on. You have totally. a better, so you could also like, I think it's ridiculous to also assume that a director can understand every aspect of every thing and they need people from on their team to basically say hey hold on you you forgot about this or you you, you didn't think about um this aspect or hey hey hey, hold on remember we have to know like, oh shit yeah you know it's it's more of a collaboration and they're basically ensuring consistency rather than mm -hmm. micro directing yep. every aspect absolutely um, but that's a very hard skill and it's a very different type of personality to to mm -hmm. find and that's so, kind of the gist of it is you need good people. And I've met a lot of young animators that are just coming into the industry that, that they're eager. They want to learn. They want, they're like sponges. They want to soak up everything. And, you know, and I know from a fact where, you know, you talk to them because sometimes I've had to go to them directly and not go through tech, uh, Adam. And it's clear that they don't understand what the problems are. And then you spend 15, 20 minutes, you show them the graph, you show them the game and they're like, Oh, I completely understand. Oh yeah, yeah. I wish somebody had explained this to me. Now I understand what this roots thing is. I understand how I need to animate it, and blah blah blah. And then you know, they fifteen minutes later they fix the whole anim set, and it's like, oh wow, okay, you know. But before that would be a multi-step process of explaining to tech anim, them looking at the animation, saying, oh yeah, it's probably wrong. Them, you know. I I just exactly. all the kind of best people I've worked with are people that are more curious. And they kind of understand a little bit. They don't have to be experts at that thing. They just need to understand the yeah how it fits together at least how something works. You know, yeah. like, I, I know how rigging and skinning in theory works, but don't ask me to. I can barely work the camera at Maya. You know. So, Barry, uh, uh, yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned that you're going now more indie. What's the what is the story there? What's the motivation? <laughs> yeah, I'm going from this uh, big because you've been uh, as far as I know. You know, uh, you've been in big studio AAA production for most of your video game career. And now it's almost like, all right, let me go and try this other thing. What's the, what's the story uh, there? I, I can't even be original. It's the typical, like, I'm a little bit tired and frustrated with large teams and large productions. Um, I want to just do something still kind of high quality and still like polished, but more 
focused and basically just pick our battles. Um, basically have a small technical team um, where we're going to have a lot more creative freedom on an individual basis and sort of like build something together where, for example, um, the animator has a say in the design. You know, if they feel that design can be adjusted to suit the animations, we can do that. Or if the design, you know, mm. the programmer is the designer, the programmer can say, hey, I actually had a better idea for how to handle this, so I'm going to do it this way, you know, where mm. we're not so compartmentalized. I want to basically do more like a naive um, co-op almost, where it's like, you know, everybody has creative freedom, everybody can kind of work, but there's still mm. a structure, a a focus where I guess it's the anti AAA of the chaos. I just want a bit of order in my life for a change, you know? So why did it took 15 years <laughs> before being like, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try something else. You had a big gambling debt. No, I don't have a good answer for that one. Um, more it's like, like, I'm not going to say I regret anything AAA. I learned massive amounts. I've been on a lot of council projects primarily because they're all new IPs and games of service and all that kind of stuff. And over the time, I've worked with a lot of really good people. I've learned a lot. I've had a chance to learn about people's pipelines. And the one nice thing in AAA is that it allows you to sort of, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but learn on somebody else's dime mm. and fuck up on somebody else's dime because like, you can make mistakes. And it's like, sure, I, we, we, we will feel, fix it and clean up. You know, And it's not really that much of a risk. Big companies can absorb the cost of those mistakes. Exactly. What you're saying. And, and so you can learn, you can grow, you can, you know, I've been very lucky that I've, as part of my firefighting on lots of projects, I've learned about pretty much every pipeline. Like with Brent, I got to go and, you know, be on a mocap shoot, you know, at Iowa, I got to do mocap and that helped me a lot with the animation work because I understood where the data originated from, how it was made. I had some impact in how that was done, you know, and I kind of want to go back to that because these days we're again, hyper-specialized to the point that a gameplay programmer has zero say in the design anymore. They get yep. given a PowerPoint to say implement, and then they get it, then they hand it off, and then the designer said, nah, "That's not what I wanted. Change it," you know, or it's no, you misunderstood this, or no, I, you know, and and that can be frustrating for everybody involved. The designer that has to sit there and wait. Uh, the programmer that basically has no say in anything, even if sometimes he knows what he's doing will never work. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, they can't uh, define how the animation direction for certain moves are going to be. So then they build a first version of how they think is going to work. They get the data and then they have to change everything because the data has different motion, you know, and, yeah. and different parameters and stuff. And it's, I just want to go back to something where it's like, let's, let's build a fun toy. Let's build something where, you know, this is sort of something we own, we care about, um, you know, like that's okay. It, it, it's going to sound like we don't do that in AAA. We, People obviously in AAA, they, they give a shit about what they're doing and stuff, but it's more like it's, I want the individual to have a larger impact on the whole. Mm -hmm. You know, I want it to feel like when the game ships, they're like, I affected yeah. all those things, you know, not, yeah, I, I did a bunch of work for four years and technically I can tell you that every feature works because of something I did, but I can't point to the one thing I did, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's probably the creative part in you, as you mentioned, in the, yeah. uh, you, you don't consider yourself an artist, quote unquote, but a, a creative person. So it's probably this itch that is getting more and more difficult to, uh, to, to scratch. Yeah, my game. favorite uh, memories were sitting with an animator and dancing around the floor and trying to figure out how to build something and then like getting the first version to get in and being like, holy shit, this is cool. You know, mm -hmm. I, I still remember when we were doing the, 
in hindsight, probably a bad idea, but it was fun at the time when we had those really cool 180s. If you remember, Brent, we were mm -hmm. even tweaking the the blend pivot to get the exact oh, yeah. thing to turn. And oh, it yeah. was really amazing. Yeah. Totally opposite to what the design wanted. Yes, yes. <laughs> but we had fun doing it. We um, did. Well, because it was a tough problem to solve, right? Like, yeah. I mean, th this you talk about like the uh, trying to come up with a formula that would be a, similar to like the Max Payne style, like turning while shooting kind of thing. That one, that was yeah, the problem. We did yeah. that, but that was contrary to what the designers wanted in terms of feel. And yeah. this is where I want to be able to define some of that together and say, hey, what are we doing? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I want to make is I want to make a Max Payne supernatural yeah. game. So like, yeah. by the way, I'm currently looking for an animation director or a senior yeah. animator that wants to get somebody. into that role. Mm -hmm. If anybody watching is uh, interested, feel free to reach out to me. Um, ideally, it'll be somebody in Montreal. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, looking to do something double A quality with like Max Payne mechanics where we can have a focus on animation and a focus on yeah. you know, gameplay. But combine the two so it's not like um the super slidey game with like yeah. some yeah. animations on top and also it's not like uh red dead redemption where i want to fucking shoot myself every time i pick up a bottle you know uh i have a question for for you bobby because we, we mentioned that you know communication so whether it's between animator and programmers or programmers and technical animator and, and all that's so often in video game communication and people is the root of most uh, problem. Have you mm -hmm. seen a difference since everyone has been working uh, uh, remotely in turn? Does it get got better, got worse, didn't make a difference from, from your perspective of what you observe? I, the... I think it's split people. I think that it's actually split people into two camps. The ones who really love work from home and the ones who absolutely hate it. Um, I, I am actually in the camp where I, I can't, I don't like this. Um, mm -hmm. I need the people around me. I need to be able to talk. I need to be able to sit with somebody at my desk and go through something together, which we can't do anymore. We, especially yeah. if you're doing something like 3Cs, it's, it makes your workflows impossible because now through a Zoom video, I'm supposed to figure out how something feels. It's it's mm -hmm. near impossible. Mm -hmm. um, it, it makes the communication loop longer. It's harder. For a lot of people, mm -hmm. their roles were never necessarily um, that collaborative. Mm -hmm. So for example, maybe an environment artist they make their meshes, they get direction, they adjust the meshes. For them, maybe it doesn't affect them as much. But if you're sort of trying to deal with multiple moving parts simultaneously, it's difficult collaborating yeah. remotely. It's also sometimes yeah. hard as a programmer to work with other programmers because now we have this burden of doing code reviews remotely. We can't just talk about it. We can't play at each other's desk with some physics props and say, okay, how would this work? Um, it also isolates people, which has been one of the big kind of reasons for burnout and people leaving right now, um, where sometimes we have hard problems to solve and that's across every discipline, not just programmers. And at work, we had mechanisms to relieve that stress. We would go for lunch with our colleagues or we mm -hmm. could ask a colleague to come sanity check something or sit with yep. us and kind of talk it through or say, hey, uh, can you can you help me with this? I don't know. Now it's like if something goes wrong or you get stuck, you're on your own. Yeah, you, they can they can only help so much through Zoom or Slack or whatever. And it's like um, you also don't get to like relieve the frustrations with you know the lunch or the going for get coffee. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Smooth things over. Yeah, you Report don't have hours. the um, the disconnect as well with the commute. As much as some people hate the commute, I think <laughs> it's essential to sort of switch off. Yeah, uh, between work and home. Uh, having work and home at the same place, I think, is a very dangerous thing for some people. Yeah. Um, mm. 
I have mixed feelings. I know why some people like it remote. Um, but a lot of people forget that um, necessarily their job is different from others. And, you know, like what, what might be a better convenience for them might be causing somebody to burn out and have like real serious issues. And I've yeah. seen that over the last year and a half with a lot of people, um, myself to some degree included. I, you know, I'm an immigrant. I don't really have much of a network here. So the last year and a half has been extremely isolating. And with a lot of the stress of, from work and stuff, it's difficult to unload that because it just doesn't stop. Um, yeah, we're, we're communicating. Everything becomes an email or a back channel or I'll get to it or, a, you know, we can never resolve anything now necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not easy because we're extremely, we're obviously, you know, social creatures. And sometimes, to your point of, you know, just solving issues, sometimes just, you know, a you're getting frustrated or you just, you know, take a break, look on the side, you have your coworker that is there is looking at you and say, hey, what's up? And then you, you start a conversation naturally yeah. by doing that. You're not going to go on Slack and say, dude, I need to talk. That, I need to vent, yeah. Yeah, I need to vent. Most of the time, it, it's just enough friction to not do yeah. it. So yeah. you're just going to keep it on yeah. your own and absorb. And, 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 absorb. Uh, and I agree that this is something, there's a lot of tech, there's a lot of tech that, that, that's been uh, implemented. There's a lot of best practice, but, you know, solving this social yeah. issues when a, a, I haven't seen a someone say, oh, no, no, I've I got this. Here's what we're doing to mitigate completely this uh, situation. That mm. it, I think there's going to be a, a host of, oh, well, we're already seeing the host of burnouts, a host of uh, mental health issues right now coming out of this. Um, yeah. I think people are coming to the wrong conclusion sometimes. They're saying, oh, it's a pandemic. Like, yeah, that's causing some stress, but also like yeah. people are working from their kitchens and no, mm. with no breaks, you know, mm. like between yeah. meetings, like I've had days where I've started at nine until yeah. one, I've been in a Zoom call, four yeah. different Zoom calls, but mm. I didn't get a chance to walk from one room to another, get a coffee yep. or whatever, oh, because yeah. this, the one ends, I'm in the next. I it's predict mentally super heart problems. Yeah. yeah. Um, additionally, one thing that I used to do is I would kind of do a temperature test sometimes at the office where I would like look around and see how like uh, people under me were doing. And once in a while, I would see somebody literally in like a state of panic at his desk because I know him, you know, I know their personalities all the time and I kind of see it. I can see it on his face. He's getting like stressed and panicked and stuff. And I have to go to him and say, hey, what's, what's going on? Talk, talk it through with me. And then I realized he's like worked himself into edge. paralysis where yeah. he's like so stressed about it. he doesn't know how to solve this. So he's trying really hard to solve something that he's too stressed to solve. And I'm like, okay, get up and go. You know, I have to be like at two o'clock in the afternoon be like, get the fuck out, go. Yeah. Go home. Mm. No, but I go home. Yeah. You know, go home, take a shower, go for a walk. I don't care. Just yeah. fuck off. How and do you do that? How do you do like, yeah, I know how to solve what? it. I took a shower. Oh, yeah, exactly. You can't do that anymore. And so no. people sit there and they stress and they panic. And I've had isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I've had coworkers silence. message me saying, yeah, today I stared at my desk at the wall. I was in tears and I was saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and 
that's not okay. You know, it's the stuff like, we don't see that's the scariest, right? That's yeah. the problem. At least yeah. at work, it's like it's out in the open a little bit, you know. And that's sometimes also a problem. I think that the interesting thing that hopefully will this this will pave the way for is something that's a bit more hybrid, giving a little flexibility to work from home sometimes, but not all the time, you know. Like and so that it allows people some space when they need it, but also they can connect when they need to, as opposed to it being just like all one or the other. Well, there's a different thing. There's different people that need different support. You have yeah, different expertise. Exactly. And, you know, I, again, obviously I'm more familiar with what an animator would, but for me, if I was in a situation that, okay, am I going back to work or not? It would be 50-50 because I, I don't want to brainstorm on, on Zoom. I don't want to have all of those meetings with yeah. Zoom. I don't have to have those, you know, casual conversation just to make sure that we're... But I also want to have sometime a stretch of three or four hours that I just put my headphone and I can, yeah. you know, just, and exactly. that's perfect from home. So the, yeah. the way to structure, maybe it's just afternoon or it's certain day or all, yeah. all of that. And then we think of parents that may, were maybe like two hours of commuting from, from work. I, I cannot believe that we'll see anything other than this flexibility of, well, you for you, it makes sense to be always there. For you, maybe it's eighty percent. For you, maybe twenty percent on site, and you're. But you know, you're you're good. You can do your own thing, and I hope this this is what we're. Doing. I, I think hybrid makes sense, um, but it can also cause. This is the thing. I know that um, I think it needs to be enforcing at least like do okay. You have the option of doing at least two days from home or something a week or something like that. But at least there need to be some days that we know the people in because exactly. If everybody can randomly pick whatever day they're totally. coming in, at that point everybody's remote again. I agree, um, and and that's kind of problematic because sometimes I, I, I you know, for an animator use mm -hmm. case, every to every game production I've been on, there's been toys and props on the floor, you know, like a or like a foam sword or a foam gun or something. Because sometimes when you want to give direction, you can't do it via, you know, just pointing at the I screen know. and saying you need to be like, okay, you you do this, and then we're gonna. We're gonna transition down here, and then we're gonna sweep low, and then we're gonna, yeah. you know, pop it straight up. You know, you need mm -hmm. to act that because it's I motion, totally it's, it's physical. You yeah. can't just say, you know, try it over a camera. It's hard. You don't have the perspective of the feet. You don't have the, yeah. you know. Um, it's so true. It's funny. It's been that's been particularly hard for me because people who know me know that I'm very animated and I'm always acting it out in front of a bunch of animators, typically, and are trying to express what I think it should be. Um, and um, you know, that's also very useful to get. Like, it's not just animators; it's designers and yeah. you know, programmers as well. If we can all as a group act it out, it's it's a bit easy for everyone to hopefully start seeing the same thing in their head. Uh, because if yeah. I just describe it in a bunch of text, there is a very good chance that it will be interpreted in wildly different ways. And just physicalizing it makes a a, a big difference. And I, that's something I do all of the time at work and it's harder to do from a camera. Like it's like, I don't, you know, it's like the case, the camera wide enough to even see it. And it's, it's not the, quite the same. You don't see it in the same way when you're right there witnessing it in real time. It's been hard. Yeah. And sometimes you need to be like, when there's a bit of a discussion or like a disagreement, you're like, okay, show me how you think like this, this is going to look. Exactly. Act it out for me. And then the person's like, oh yeah. wait, I can't actually do that because it's physically impossible. Yeah. Hold oh, on. Let me rethink my, yes. you know, you need that sort of we're human we're social we, we need that aspect yeah. and that's why i know like having a remote can and for some roles it can absolutely work like i said mm -hmm. some art disciplines yep. where they are just crunching through data definitely can work um, absolutely but for more gameplay roles yep um it's much harder and something people forget is they say oh we can work you you can't do gameplay from home because you have latency 
yeah, on, on the controls. So you can't tell if there's latency or not because you have latency because you're remote. You know, mm. how do I know if the game feels reactive or not? Is it my net connection? Is mm. it like uh, Videotron doing something to my network today? Is it, um, you know, is it the game that's laggy? Well, I can't tell because I'm not right there. And a lot of times that's frustrating. There's the other thing of like working with the designer and the animator on a 3C mm. feature, which is, you know, AI is easier because again, it's predicted and stuff. You, you're not feeling it, but mm. on something where you have control of the character, remote just doesn't work. Yeah, um, it's it's just I unless know, you're making something super laggy where it, you know it doesn't really matter. Nothing quite replaces the feeling of getting just huddling around a a, a, a screen together with the with the controller in your hand and yeah. like trying something and being like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't feel clear. Take a look, yeah. and then it's because then they can feel it too, and you're right there sharing that same experience. Yeah. And it's very difficult it, you to can adjust. I know, it. I know, to try to sort of it's hard to recreate that virtually that's for sure or remotely hey yeah, by the way i just I, I would be remiss if i didn't say that we are like literally dangerously running out of time we got three minutes left we didn't take any questions we do have one question that came in from um from social and i don't know if there's any questions in chat i know we have a big fan pitar by the way you might have seen some of his activity he's um he's 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 uh he's definitely drinking the kool-aid he's uh he was actually in my animate class not so long ago and uh he has uh big aspirations for video game animation and uh, he gets it. He's funny. Like he's the whole entire time. He's like, just, just tell me what I need to know. He's um, certainly not one of the, the types that would just be worried about only making something look pretty. I, I thought this was really funny too. Sergey, um, he, uh, he's actually a professional animator and he wrote, this was when we were talking about how you need to know a little bit about like all the things, you know, like it's like, it's a little like the Soviet Union, you know, when you wanted a driver's license, a driving license, but you had to learn how to fix a car first. Yeah, but that may have been a result of the quality of the Ladas and the uh, Nevas back That's then. True. That's true. That's a good point. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> granted, those cars you could probably fix with, I don't know, a hose pipe and some string. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, carbureted engines are a little bit of a different, uh, a different monster than the fuel injection computers that we drive around now. Um, okay, so let me just bring this one up here. This was from social. Someone had posted this in before our, we, we, we advertise the event and people get a chance to sort of ask questions before it goes live. So this one is already kind of came up a little bit in, in the conversation today, but is it useful for a keyframe animator to get educated in programming animation? This is very specific because I'm wondering if it would be helpful at all. I, I don't think so. I think, um, if, if, I think all animators need to understand how the animations are used. Um, I don't think there's a distinction between mocap and keyframe. I definitely think that all animators should know how to keyframe, including yeah. mocap animators. Yeah. Um, and vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. Um, although that said, some productions just don't use mocap. Even now, if they're doing more fantastical things or weird like robotic stuff, you know, maybe mocap is not a skill you need because it's on your pipeline. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've run across mocap animators that just cannot keyframe. They know how to clean mocap and use story in motion building. That's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you need to necessarily know animation programming in any sense. Um, if you understand how the animation works in the game, how the blending, this is this is actually one thing. It's funny enough. Um, the amount of animators that don't understand how blending works, yeah, is actually surprising to me. Where I've I've met some amazing animators. <clears throat> that cannot visualize what will happen when you blend two animations together. Mm -hmm. And I wish that there were some better tools 
so that they could understand that. And that's something that like, I always show them how to build a graph back in the day. Like I would be like, okay, uh, let me show you how the graph tool works. You don't need to use it for anything else, but just make a graph. You can put an animation, put another, and you can see how it blends just so you can wrap your head around as the blend weight goes up. How does the, how does the blend look with the feet? How does it look with the arms? What is happening with the, the yep. root bone? That's surprisingly, you would think, Oh, animators, they, they understand blending, yeah. but it's just not true. I know. I think that the closest thing that you can get that that's not perfect, but it's at least somewhat there is motion builder story mode. Like you said, right. like at least you can at least preview and start to wrap your head around the concept. So when you want to say, for instance, blend two clips together so that they can transition to and from one another, you're getting a pretty good dose of what it, what, what it looks like in, in the game. And there's different recipes. Like there's a very big difference. If you just butt two of them up against one another yep. and then just try to like on a layer in that blend, try to match poses at some point versus literally overlapping those clips and blending two active animation clips together provides very different results. And there's a reason for that and i think it's a good way to start playing around with um the concept of blending and and sort of like making it less abstract in your mind by just getting motion builder and playing around with what i just said actually i think that's that's a good point there for the technical animator case where tech animators are expected to understand how animations blend how helper mm. bones for example ik bones or target bones will blend together yep. Um, yeah. that's actually a very important skill, but Absolutely. I would argue that this is also a skill that the person creating the source data has to understand too, because they cannot make that data correctly without understanding. For example, if you remember, we had a, a relatively complex weapon rig because we were procedurally generating, um, poses based on the weapon position and stuff. That was not a non-trivial setup where we needed multiple bones so that when they blended, they blended across on the correct axes. And they wouldn't just linearly, you know, go through the character when you were blending the left and the right, that it would, it would blend in an arc. And we had to build a special bone setup for that. Mm -hmm. And that's where a technical animator is very useful to understand this concept. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would argue that I think animators should understand this concept to begin with. I think, I think TDs do because they're building control rigs. So they're dealing with this stuff a lot of the time. Yeah. But a lot of the actual like line animators, um, they don't. So I've had times where I've had to sit and teach and explain that and they're surprised. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, the poses have to match the root yeah. offset. Yeah. Which is so interesting because it sort of it goes to the heart of what they're what they're what they're doing, right? Like that data to not understand that has such a huge ripple. But it's impact. not obvious, right? Because it looks it looks fine in Maya and they, they're totally. working on clip by clip. They're not working on the transition. Totally. Totally, and so totally. sometimes they see the pose and it looks identical. They're like, I don't understand. I pasted the pose it's correct and it's like no but the root on one is here and the root on the other is shifted yeah yeah but the pose is yeah, yeah the pose is the same but look at the offset between the pillar but yeah. it's it's hard to explain and and if you don't have that visualization again in yeah. the tooling everything comes down to tooling yeah. If you don't have that, it's it's yeah. it's harder to explain all this. Yeah, it's harder to validate, harder to understand, yeah. harder to do everything. Sometimes um, programmers don't even understand what the root is. I'll be entirely honest, and then it's even more frustrating because then oh, they man. give broken information to the animator, and yeah. you have an even bigger mess to clean up after oh, that. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so I mean, so I guess theoretically, then that like the, the answer to this question is, if you want to learn programming, then knock yourself out yeah. for sure. But I wouldn't put that as a priority over top of some of these other things you're talking about. That's understanding these concepts are going to be much much more important. Like just even having a, at least uh, some experience with getting your own animations into the engine so you understand how they're used is going to be a huge boon for you to understand the bigger picture of what animating for a game is beyond 
you know, obviously coding. I know a lot of tech animators that start learning how to code because they want to kind of almost graduate up into the land of being more like a programmer for animation. Because uh, naturally at that point, that will be the, the ceiling is without understanding how to do that. That's what's going to stop you. We actually have somebody in chat here uh, who works at uh, Activision who's talking, they, they are a tech animator. They say, um, here at Activision, I do rigging, imports, bug fixes, tools, uh, and a bit of everything. Animators make and put the animations in the programmer, uh, put it, put, sorry, and put the animations in the programmers and designers work on the behavior trees and the state machines from there. So it look, look, looks like the way that they fit in is their, their tech animation status is almost a jack of all trades, understanding many, many aspects of all the things when it comes to animation. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a more traditional um, yeah, way of handling where the programmers are the ones building the animation state machines and dealing with that, where tech anim is more TD work, like pipeline, uh, rigging, a lot of those aspects. And animators, fundamentally, they just import and slot them into anim sets pretty much. And then yeah. Um, yeah. that's a very kind of traditional way of working. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad one that we need to change as long as that there's collaboration between the animators putting stuff into the engine and them in the state machine. I think that needs to be done together so that yeah. there again, there's an understanding, not just totally. I imported my animations and I hit uh, submit on Perforce and it's not my problem anymore. Um, you know, uh, that's kind of an interesting, there's the other question that it ties into that I can see about like people with generalists. And if we're going back to that, yeah, I, I was going to bring that up. I would David, love. Actually, one sec. Dave, Dave, are you okay with taking this last question? Because I, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, good. So we'll take. We'll do this last one, then we'll wrap things up. Go ahead, Bobby. I didn't want to disrupt. I, I was going to say, I, I, I would hope so. I just don't see it happening, depending. <clears throat> Most larger studios are now lo looking for specialized role because in their minds, that's what they need, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of times I've heard an excuse saying we can't solve a problem because we don't have person X with this title. And it's like, no, but I'm telling you like how it needs to be solved. Yeah, yeah, but we don't have this person, so we can't make a decision. <laughs> You're laughing. But oh, man. Um, but that's a big studio reality. And that's kind oh, of it. Man. Like they've they've hyper specialized um to a degree that they don't understand that one person can actually be a generalist. So a lot of times I'll get told, yeah, no, it's impossible for one person to know everything. It's like really I know lots of really yeah. good let's say tech artists tech animators that understand the whole thing from yeah. the rigging part to the uh important to the engine you know because back back in they're generally a, an older generation because they had to do it all right because back then the tools were kind of non-existent so they yeah. were the ones animating rigging sometimes modifying a control rig for a specific character because they needed some extra control yeah um putting it into the engine working with the programmers tweaking it polishing you know they were doing that whole loop where now we have situations where an animator says, I can't animate because the control rig is doing something weird and they're blocked, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's because they, they don't know how to fix it. So now a TD has to run along, okay, what were you doing? Can you show me? Okay, this thing, okay, I'll go change the control rig. I'll give you a new control, you know? Yeah. And that slows things down. But I don't see us going back to that because we need people that are taught in a more generalist way. And, and now even I think the education side of things is becoming true. specialized where people are not learning about, let's say, rigging, skinning, um, control rigs. You know, you, you're either doing character art or you're doing rigging or you're doing animation, right? Mm -hmm. You're not doing the whole character pipeline where I have friends like that they are character TDs and they've, they were animators, they were doing facial rigs, they were doing control rigs, they were doing retargeting, they were doing pipeline work.
They understand the know? bigger picture. Because they're working on the character as a character, right? They're not working on, yeah. I'm a rigger, I know how to rig. Yeah, I think that good generalists are getting rarer to 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 find. That's for sure. And right now, with the shortage of, I mean, studio are just happy when they finally are able to find someone to fill put in a chair, yeah. put, to put in a chair. So let alone trying to find a good generalist that's going to work with the uh, with the others. So I, I think the only if there's some studio that can achieve this is go, going to be okay. We're going to find find the best artists slash technician that are open-minded and we're going to train them over time with a culture of openness and, you know, yes, officially this is your title, but you also need to do this, this, and this. And by the way, you need to get along with all those different people there because it's together that you guys will yeah. create something. I, so I would almost say to come from within those studio, I, I think. I would almost say starting out as an indie or a double A may actually be better career-wise if you want to end up in AAA because you mm. will have to wear more hats and you will learn yeah. a lot more. So by the time you get to AAA, you yeah. will be way more um, like knowledgeable across a degree of tasks than somebody that started out in AAA. Yeah. Because, and, and you will be way more attractive as a hire because you might come in and say, you know what, I may be not the best rigger, but I know how to rig. I know how yep. skinny works. Yep. I can do this yep. part of the pipeline. I've done this before. I built a control rig. It's not my, really my thing, but I know how it works. I you agree know? so yeah. So much. And, yeah. and on the other side, those that start with a super big studio that are very like, you just have to do this. Unfortunately, it, it can happen that you you have bad habits pretty early, which yep. means that it's going to be more difficult later on to be, uh, you know, just to be able to solve a, solve a lot of uh, uh, different yeah. uh, issues, You're, which was going to be this precious snowflake that is just doing this thing. And That's unfortunately it. needs other department to deal with all the rest yeah it's um it's or yeah like exactly like what or or that scenario that bobby talked about like you may end up you know being new at a big company and get groomed for a role that doesn't exist outside of that studio it's like uh mm -hmm. you know it's um you know i i'm i'm i really think that makes a lot of sense i think that whenever possible you should always take a job i have always told animators they should learn a little bit about rigging and also, depending on the pipeline, if you're in anima video game animation, you want to learn a little bit about how those animations are going to be used and how. If you're in a feature film, then you might want to know a little bit about like the lighting department even because typically they're the ones who take the work after you and they have to render it, right? And so basically, just understanding how your work fits into the big picture is just as important as to the, the skills you need to be able to do your job right because part of that job job being done right is interfacing uh, with the with the surrounding uh, machinery that, 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 that works around you to make it all go. Bobby, I want to take a second here just to thank you, man. It was a very sobering conversation. It was, uh, I feel like, I feel like part of this was almost like cathartic for myself just to like sit there and reminisce over the, some of the, the, the typical frustrations that, that exist in this industry. Um, cause I know you get it. Um, you've been living it for a while and, um, I guess I, I feel like one of the big motivators for you to start your own thing is almost like you've seen it to be done wrong enough that maybe it's like, you just want to see, um, Kind of like whether or not like you kind of have some good solutions to that problem. I guess I, the best I'm, way to figure it out is to try. I'm right? fully going to admit that I am a bit jaded and, and like there's a fair amount of frustration over the years that has built up, but I I feel like there's a a way to not maybe not I don't want to say do it right because I'm not gonna be that arrogant and say mm -hmm. like I can do it better. Um, but I wanna see if like if you allow people to be more creative to express themselves more to to grow and you foster that kind of a culture like what could happen 
because yeah. I think again, a lot of this is is that if you have a culture, which is what I built on my on our gameplay team in the past, where we had a very open culture where I don't care about titles and hierarchy and bullshit. You know, everybody can call anybody out, and we would criticize each other. We, but not not in a bad way. We would say, hey, like we'd come in a room with an idea, and then we would rip it to shreds because mm -hmm. it's an idea. It's not us. Yeah, you yeah. know, we're not tied to that idea, and that's something a lot of people don't. Um, it's not a skill they have. Like I'm. Eastern European, so our culture is very interesting in terms of how conflict gets resolved. But you know, in Canada, <laughs> it's a very different approach. So a lot of people here have a hard time understanding that if you criticize an idea, you're not criticizing them. You're just saying like, "Hey, yeah. you didn't take this totally. through. There's, there's issues that." And teaching that, teaching that whole like, you are not your work. You know, um, so we walk into a room, and people are more open. People are more willing to learn. People are willing mm -hmm. to grow, and they and they know that. If I make a mistake, nobody's going to be mad at me. They'll help me through it. They'll support me. They'll teach me. And that's kind of what I want to build. Half of my motivating factors is try to build a space like that and say, like, what if I get a good group of people that, you know, are curious, they want to learn, and I give them the freedom, not full freedom because that's chaos too, but freedom within their domain to, to express themselves, to learn, to grow, to try a new tool, to experiment with a new technique, but in the whole time kind of having a you know, a production mindset. So it's on the rails, you know? Yep. I'm curious how that would go. And I, I really hope I get the chance it's, to do it, but it's a worth, it's worth the experiment. That's for sure. It sounds, it sounds like utopia. The last, well, I don't know about that, but the last couple of months have been difficult for me. And it's like mm -hmm. more and more, like I'm realizing with the last year and a half, which has been hard. I think a lot of people have done introspection about what they want out of life. And I want to, I want to try to see if I can make a mark or, change a little bit in my own way if i can help change some of the culture change some of the things because i mean we've all seen the news recently about some of the horrors um if i can try to build something where there's maybe a different approach or kind mm -hmm. of a different way of doing things it might work it might not i don't know i'm not going to try to predict worst case you're going to learn something right yeah worst case you're going to learn what you'll be humbled by maybe some of your theories were maybe not quite there or yeah. maybe you're going to realize that some of them actually do work out one way or another you're going to be able to figure it out and that's kind I of thing you never know this is a um this is a um an official uh um, request to have you back we, we, let's see how things go and we'll, we'll have you come <laughs> back and we'll 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 have a retrospective on on, on exactly how that uh, how that actually ends up working out for better or for worse how's that sound I love it. Okay, Bobby, thank you. Have a really good rest of your day, sir. Uh, David, same to you. And um, yep. we'll see you chat on the next one. Have yourselves an amazing day. Stay animated. Cheers. Thanks, Bobby. Bye. Take care. Bye, everybody. Oh, um, uh, thanks for being here, chat. I know that there was a lot of activity there, especially from you, Petter. I saw you earlier and we were too, too engaged in the conversation. I was I was having a hard time. Like it's, it's like when I have someone like Bobby on, it's like I've worked with him quite a bit in the past. And so it's like, I just, I just end up like, it's like it turns into a real catch up slash um, kind of trip down memory lane. So I didn't mean to abuse you um, and, uh, and not, uh, I think we got all of the questions. I'm not too sure. I think we might've missed one, but let me just scroll back. Cause I remember seeing it. Oh yeah. So Zach's Zach's Manx, that was actually pretty well answered in the stream. So if you go back and watch it, I think you're going to get an answer to that question. That question was what is a tech animator exactly? 
Um, is it more about putting animations in where they belong in game? They long the, the short version of that answer is it depends. It's got a very depending on where you work. Tech animators can be very different things, but that's one of the things that tech animators tends to be depending on their job description. So it's a bit nebulous and it uh, depends on the studio, but um, it can mean mean very different things. Okay, well, I'm officially out. I'll see you on the next one, everybody. Cheers and um, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects, and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.